This is the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE, where we talk about inclusive education, why it works, and how to make it happen. On today's episode, we welcome our guest, Dr. Jennifer Spencer Imes. During our conversation, we discuss leading for all, how to create truly inclusive and excellent schools, a book she co-wrote with Josh Flossie, and why it is important for everyone at all levels in the school district, including the students, to be a part of inclusive education initiatives. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast presented by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. I am your host, Arthur Aston, and I am joined today by my guest, Jennifer Spencer Imes. And thank you so much for joining me today, Jennifer. It's great to uh, see you again virtually. <laughs> it's great to see you as well, Arthur. Thanks so much. Yes. Yeah. So you and I, we, um, we've we met uh, in person over the summer when you were here in New Jersey um, doing a uh, a presentation on uh, during our, our spring com- our summer conference uh, for the uh, New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, and I had the honor of sitting in on um, both of your sessions uh, for the <laughs> for that conference and learned so much. So I'm really excited for you to be a guest on the podcast today and to share your story with everyone. Well, it was so much fun for me to get to actually trek back to New Jersey. I'd had the opportunity to speak with folks right in the height of COVID um, as a plenary speaker, but it was all virtual. And the summer was so much more fun to be there in person, got to meet some of my own heroes in the work of inclusion there and get to know some new people who were new to me, um, Mm -hmm. such as yourself, and just to share that common vision of um, all students being included and successful and having lots of belonging. So it was really a pleasure. Yes. Yeah, it was. That was a fun, a fun day. And, um, you know, it was great to meet you and, and so many other people and to learn all about your, uh, your journey and your story. So uh, thank you again for joining us. And we can get started and into the first question, which is, can you tell us about yourself? Can you tell us who you are and what you do? And um, I like to ask people to tell us something fun that they like to do in their free time, which nobody seems to have much of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true in education. I think free time is quite (laughs) limited, but um, I live here in the Pacific Northwest in the Willamette Valley, which is quite famous for uh, its local wines, Pinot Noirs in in particular. (laughs) So um, that's a fun thing I like to do. I like to visit local wineries sometimes on the weekend and get to know the people who work there and their passion for cultivation and their attention to detail. And um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting, that connection with the land and um, I've gotten so I don't, don't um, I don't like to drink wine if I don't know who made it. <laughs> so it's it's a fun way to to connect and really hear the stories of folks. So that's my that's my little fun connection there. <laughs> that's great. And um, for your profession, you are the uh, assistant superintendent for school districts there. Yeah, I um, right now I have the pleasure of being assistant superintendent at, for the Westland 
West Lynn Wilson Mill School District, um, which is on the south side of the Portland metro area. So most people around the country will know where Portland is, and um, it's one of the medium-sized districts on the south end of that metro area. And I've been there for 11 years, and uh, it's a terrific place to be, a wonderful community. And it's been quite a journey to to land in that district, but that's that's where I am now, and I get to support our high schools, um, uh, support our student services, lots of amazing things that are happening right now in our school district. That's great. You, um, you're again. I, I sat in both of your sessions during that uh, conference, and just hearing all of the great work that you all are doing there is. Uh, really impressive and um, I always bring it up in the podcast growing up with a disability myself to see the way that education has changed um, in such a positive direction for those living with disabilities those uh, young people living with disabilities is um, really in encouraging to see and, and it really does make me uh, happy to to know that these changes are being made and um, you know, it's just, it's really uh, rewarding to be a part of, you know, just I'm hosting a podcast and sharing uh, people's experiences and stories. So it's, uh, it's great that to know that you're doing that work out there in uh, the Portland area. And I, I went there once and it was great. It was amazing. <laughs> Can't wait to get back out there uh, sometime soon. Um, well, we would love you to come. We'd love to host you. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it's, I appreciate you sharing a little bit about your story and your experience. And I think, you know, when I was going to school a million years ago, um, similarly, I had a couple of experiences around how we um, include or exclude students with disabilities. Um, we had, I can remember in kindergarten, a, a student with uh, some physical disabilities and differences being part of our class right from the beginning and how um, important that was and how it was just not ever questioned um, in terms of the work there. And yet at the same time, there was a separate building with some students with um, intellectual and other sorts of disabilities where they weren't even in the school. And so I remember that and I remember the difference of what it's like to grow up with what is um, just assumed to be who belongs and what are the barriers that we put up um, or the beliefs that allow us to still have some students who don't belong in many school districts. So I think those early experiences that we have can impact us to want to push for change, but it's also one of the things that keeps perpetuating segregated um, schooling as people grew up with it that way. So they assume that's the way it is. And so trying to interrupt that kind of generational way that students experience school is a big part of this work. Yes, that is so important what you just said that our, our experiences can take us in one direction or the other. It can lead us to continue uh, to leave things the way they are because that's what people are used to. It, it, it seems to work. So that's uh, what we'll stick with. Or it can also draw attention to, like you said, who belongs and who you know doesn't belong or, or that's how they would like you to view that and make you want to make a change in that, in that way. So that was uh, 
I, when you said that, I was like, oh my goodness, wow. <laughs> so our, our next question is um, about a book that you recently co-wrote with Josh Flossie called Leading for All, How to Create Truly Inclusive and Excellent Schools. The book focuses on um, the why, the how, and what of inclusion. And in that book, um, you share components of inclusive and equitable learning communities. Can you um, share with us uh, just two of those components of the inclusive and equitable learning communities? Um, absolutely. And uh, I will take a moment and just give a shout out to my co-author, Josh. Um, Josh is currently in Tanzania um, working at an international school and he is leading the work for inclusion there. International schools have not always been inclusive of students who experience disability and he's really doing the work. He recently uh, spoke at a conference in Dubai on inclusive education. Uh, so it, it's just exciting to see how when you um, really see the importance of this work, um, the different ways that we're all working together to, to create change. So that's a little shout out to Josh there. And um, Josh and I worked closely together here in the Wesley Wilson Mill School District. And as we made um, change and started uh, saying every student should be at their neighborhood school, we shouldn't have any self-contained classrooms. Um, at their neighborhood school, every student should experience belonging and acceptance in their general ed classroom. And with the IEP process, some students can have some differing levels of support or um, schedules or things, whatever it is they need. We can continue to individualize as students need those things while at the same time um, creating uh, general education um, environments that more students' needs are met in without specialized um, accommodations or schedules or things like that. So it's kind of a both and there. And we started making the shift without necessarily having a clear framework that we were living into and, and quickly realized um, as we want this to be long term sustainable and as we um, bring new teachers into the work, how do we kind of essentialize the main things to be thinking about in every classroom so that every classroom is a place where all students can belong. And that's how we came up with our seven components of um, inclusive and equitable learning communities. Folks that look at that will say, maybe say, um, they, they will likely recognize a lot of the principles in there. I say there's nothing, there's no new rocket science in there, <laughs> but it's how do we put things together and use a framework so that um, we essentialize within our district and have a common vocabulary to think about what all students need. And you've asked me to highlight just two of them. I will say they all work together. Mm -hmm. You can't just do part of it and you need to uh, work all together. But one of them, I'm gonna highlight one on rituals, routines and recognition. Um, we just actually did some learning walks last week where we were in and out of classrooms. And one of the things we were looking at was the presence of routines, rituals, and recognition, and how those can facilitate um, inclusion and student independence. And it was quite powerful. Um, we were in some third grade classrooms and seeing some of the routines and rituals that were uh, in place for literacy learning, um, it really allowed 
all students to engage because they know what to expect. There's sort of a, a template of this is the routine that we do. Everyone's doing that routine. And then within there, if you have a student who um, maybe experiences an intellectual developmental disability, you can build some things into that routine that allow access points. Um, so you're not um, reinventing the wheel every day. Mm -hmm. And so that the student knows what more to expect. It really helps staff approach this work of how do I plan for all students with lots of variability around what students need each and every day. Having routines that are familiar to students um, helps, helps it be sustainable for the teachers and helps it be accessible for the students. Um, that's So I think that's an incredibly important part of the work. The other one I would highlight um, is relationships with high expectations. So one of the challenges of the old model, and I started out as a general education teacher. Um, I worked as a special education teacher for a while in a self-contained classroom. And I always tried to be inclusive with my students, maybe mainstreaming, quote unquote, into a classroom for part of the day. But it was, the students knew that they didn't, that wasn't really their class, um, that the special ed classroom was their class. And so as we shift this thinking and we have students really experience that belonging in the general ed class, they may also still work with a special education teacher or there may be a paraeducator who's providing some supports or um, an occupational therapist who's coming in to provide some some um, instruction or thinking or adaptations as we go. But we have to um, really invest in that relationship with the classroom teacher and the student who experiences disability because that, that teacher is leading that classroom. And so we have to shift some of the things that we do to allow that teacher to build relationship and to hold those high expectations that this student can learn. This student can learn at high levels and I'm never gonna put a cap on what their experiences might be. So I'll give you an example of this. A couple of years ago when we were early in this journey where it was now, luckily we've been in this a while. So it's very expected and our, our teachers are all um, connected to this work in really deep ways. But when we were early in this journey, and we had a student who was um, a student who has some significant educational support needs. Um, you had some significant communication challenges. Um, and we were having him in a fifth grade classroom because he's a fifth grader and he's part of the fifth grade class. The fifth grade teacher met with us and said, I'm open to this, but I don't know what to do. I have never worked with a student like this before. And the uh, way this student was, especially early on where he was still getting used to the rituals and the routines in the classroom, the way he uh, expressed himself was pretty different from other students. And it was um, not in this general ed teacher's experience to have worked with a student like this before. So, one of the things we did was we got a substitute for that teacher 
um, because the teacher believed the paraeducator knew the student more than he did, which was probably true. And so he just deferred to the paraeducator on everything. And he hadn't developed a relationship with that student because he didn't know him. So we got a substitute and said, just spend the day shadowing and getting to know this student. It made such a difference. Okay. After that day, he greeted and connected with that student in new ways. Wow. He was not fearful of connecting with that student. He had some different ways of uh, engaging. Um, he had that ownership of this student is just as much a part of my class as everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I need some help from the learning specialist <laughs> to continue to find ways uh, for him to uh, have access points to the learning and show his learning. And so that partnership really flourished with that teacher and the special education teacher or the learning specialist. But what really shifted was the relationship with that general education teacher and that student and how it raised expectations for him. And it changed the status in the classroom because now other students see that teacher connecting with that student as a human being, mm. um, instead of kind of being afraid or deferring, um, he really brought him into the classroom. So that's just one example around how we have to support and encourage relationships. We all, we all need that. We learn mm. with people that we feel safe with, that we feel care about us and um, that believe in us. So every student needs that. And we need to empower our teachers to um, invest in those relationships and hold those high expectations for all students. That is so true. The relationships are so important. I shared on an earlier podcast, um, you know, as, as adults, we can all think back to like those few teachers who really you know, took an interest in us and got to know us and understand us. And uh, for me, like math wasn't my strong subject. Um, and I can remember those math teachers that were like, okay, come in before class, stay after class. Like, we'll, we'll help you figure this out. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we all have those teachers that we can remember from our childhood that really invested in us and got to know us and, uh, you know, really took the time to uh, help us learn. So thank you for um, for sharing those two things and especially about the relationships um, and relationship building because that is such a valuable uh, component to, um, you know, to, to making things work in, in inclusive education and just in education in general, I think. So uh, I appreciated that. <laughs> um, so our, our season uh, for the podcast, um, or I, I should say our, um, our, our goal for the podcast this season is to highlight um, leadership roles. And um, as a leader in your district, uh, what can you say uh, that you found to be the most challenging uh, with getting your district to being uh, more inclusive? I have to say it has been a challenging journey and the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Um, there are school districts are giant cruise ships. You know, they, they are big uh, organizations that have many parts and many people, and it is hard to turn a cruise ship, right? It takes, it takes planning. Um, it takes the, uh, 
the all the equipment in the equipment room working the right way it takes the people who are in the the pilots and their captains of the ship moving things in the right way it helps it makes uh it just takes a lot of effort and so i know i have so many colleagues around that are in that work and sometimes can get frustrated when they aren't feeling the movement going fast enough and that's a good thing we should be dissatisfied with schools that are not inclusive and we need to recognize that it takes time it takes effort and um be kind to ourselves as leaders as we do this work um i think what's so incredibly important is it's not one person is not shifting that cruise ship it is an entire crew so i have had the joy of getting to document our journey and to um have sometimes been the face of some of the work but it's not my it's not my work as a solo you know um person out there kind of trying don quixote style to change things <laughs> it has been absolutely teaming 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 100 percent of the time so as a leader you have to constantly be looking for how are you bringing folks in to the learning helping everyone connect with their own why because the great news with trying to make change around inclusive education is educators all went into this work because they care about kids they all went into this work because they want to make the world a better place. So when you can connect them with, oh my goodness, did you know that there's 35, 40 years of research around inclusive education? Did you know that it actually benefits the students who experience disabilities and the students who don't experience disabilities? Did you know? So when you connect people with that way of um, with that understanding and give them permission to try something differently, to change roles, to um, sometimes uh, shift staffing and personnel, um, it, most people, I'm finding that people get excited, we get on board. Um, our role as leaders is to continue to highlight that, continue to bring the celebrations forward help people develop that sense of collective efficacy that we can change this because we are changing it so you can see those efforts and you see those efforts work and you reflect it back which gets people more excited to keep on that change um it is challenging you got to stay focused you got to um, continue to be laser-like focused on the mission and there are many educators that will talk about things like initiative fatigue like oh our district was committed to pbis and now they're not or we developed this new reading program and now we didn't and so there can be this sense of oh i'll just stay in my classroom and wait this initiative out and this too shall pass it is critical that we don't think about inclusive education as an initiative or this new thing we're trying out. It has to be at the core of your district's mission as um, as important as anything else that you are committed to as important as making sure all students are readers right. Mm -hmm. 
um, it has to be right there in the core. So I think the challenge is, is, is continuing to do that, continuing to bring folks into the, um, into the understanding of why, thinking about all the stakeholders that are involved. Sometimes when people start this work, they're thinking about the special education teachers, huge important stakeholders in this group, but not more important than the general education teachers. And what about the parents of students who experience disability that maybe in the past, the IEP team has said, it's best for this child to be in a self-contained classroom. And now suddenly they're saying, it's not. <laughs> That's for this child to be included. So we can't be surprised that parents might say, wait a minute, so you're really changing what you thought. Yes, we are, based on everything we know. Um, but the equally important are parents of students who don't experience disability. How are they um, being brought into this conversation about how this is a value add for their children? And I will tell you, I've had a couple of families that have reached out to me. We've had many families that have reached out to us of children who experience disability who have moved to our district to make sure their children are included, which makes me both happy and sad. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to welcome families, um, but also sh people should not have to move for their child to be included, should not depend on your zip code. So that's another story. Mm -hmm. But... We've also had some families that have moved here whose children don't experience disability, but they've moved here because we're inclusive. And that's a powerful statement. Um, it's as families recognize um, the value of just embracing all students to think about all, all of us have strengths, all of us have things we're working on and learning, um, and we can do that work together. Wow, <clears throat> that is a really powerful statement that they're they're moving there because of uh, you know that their child doesn't experience disability, but they're moving there for uh, the inclusivity of your district. That is uh, that's great, and that's the world that uh, you know that's the world we want to live in, <laughs> where everybody is included. And um, you know, I'm I as a person with a disability, I'm right next to someone without a disability, and it's. Um, yeah, that that's really great. And um, for our last question, I think we touched on it a little bit already. Um, but in uh, after I met you, I was really interested in the work that you do there. And um, I began looking up things about your district. And uh, I read an article in which you were quoted as saying students, no matter what their learning style or why they are receiving special education, they need to feel like they belong with their peers. They need to feel part of the work. They need to be engaged and challenged, all students. I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is <laughs> like, it's so simple what you said, but it's like, it's great. Um, so I wanted you to uh, touch on why you feel that it is important to have everyone at all levels within the district on board for inclusion, including the students. Wow, yes, I, I, it's such a simple statement and such a hard to achieve statement mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. And uh, that's why we have lots of job security in education because the work <laughs> is, is ongoing, um, aspirational in many ways because kids naturally have part of their development is, is uh, 
learning where they fit with the world. And that can sometimes be a painful process for any young person. They go through moments of this is the best thing and this is challenging and do my friends really like me and you know, where do I fit and who are my people? And that part of that is that developmental road that students are on. What's really important as we think about being an inclusive district is how do we have um, factors of identity such as disability or race or home language not um, overshadow that natural process that students are going through um, around trying to figure out where they fit with the world and how they connect with peers um, and, and what are their interests and how are they developing where we have those um, where beliefs or underlying biases around those factors of identity overshadow and uh, kind of derail that natural process of kids trying to figure out how they fit and where they belong. And um, you talk about why is it so important to have all everyone on board. It's it's just so critical. The more that we're in this work, the more I see the interrelationship. So an example um, was thinking about our business office. <laughs> you very early in this work, you discover if um, people can talk about the importance of um, inclusive education. Um, and overall, it, I, money shouldn't be a yes or a no for inclusion, right? And depending on how you set things up, it could be more or less expensive. You know, that's not the, that's not the variable we're focusing, focusing on. We're focusing on what's right for kids. Um, but there can be some shifts in costs for sure. Some things go up and some things go down as you reorganize your schools. And um, if your business department isn't fully invested in this work, there may be uh, barriers to moving forward and things that you know is right. We're very, very lucky. Um, we, we talk about and include questions about your beliefs around inclusion for every employee, every employee, our business director, our custodial staff, our um, HR department, math teachers, uh, grounds crew, everybody is um, asked about their beliefs or at least their openness to inclusion and then helping folks find their connection to that work. So um, that connection can happen in a lot of different ways. In our operations department, really shifting that belief in inclusive education has helped us ramp up when we need a ramp or you know, sometimes uh, when we need um, something, I, I think I told this story in the book, um, I actually saw this student, she's not a student anymore, she's a graduate, but comes back and is now in college, we hope we're going to hire her as a special ed teacher soon. Wow. Um, she uses a wheelchair and she uh, was very involved in high school, just a, a, a student who'd really found a great peer group and really connected. 
And one of the things they do is go to football on the Friday nights. That was their part of her peer group's connection is just being part of the student body and getting into those fun activities. And we had a stadium that was ADA compliant, quote unquote, but the seating that was wheelchair accessible was nowhere near the student section. <laughs> it was in a different space in the stadium. And she, she came to us um, and she brought forward why this was not working for her. And we were able to get our physical therapist, operations uh, chief, um, and her and the building principal out there that evening, the next on a Thursday afternoon, looking at another possible solution that because the maintenance department was fully on board, they diverted all their resources from other projects that next day. They built a new platform Friday morning. So on Friday evening, she was at the game with her friends. And um, that matters. It matters because that students are on board with this in that it was a big deal, not only to her, but to her friends mm -hmm. that she had accessibility. Um, we've had students be part of our leadership team in this work. And I think we could even do a better job. Uh, we're continuing to think about how do we listen more to the voices of students in this. Um, I was on a, a learning walk the other day with, uh, we were um, in an elementary school and I had a student, maybe second grade student, maybe third. And I said to him, do you know that we're out here today because we're bringing some people from other districts because in other districts, not all kids are included in the same classrooms. And sometimes students with disabilities in other districts have to be in a separate classroom and they can't be in the classroom with their friends and their peers. And that student looked at me and he <laughs> said, what do you mean in order in nowadays? <laughs> he was shocked because it has become so expected that of course everyone belongs and of course everyone should be in together. So I think it's critical. I think it's ongoing work um, that in some ways, the more you're in this work, everyone, it, it shifts that we're, what I'm excited about is we're going to have a generation of students in another year that will have never seen anything else but inclusive mm -hmm. education. And what does that mean for employment? What does that mean for colleges, universities? What does that mean for just our communities when students experience in education an inclusive world? How will they bring that out into their next steps as well? Yes, that is. I, I'm so glad you shared the story about the student with the accessible seating at the football game. I was going to ask you if you could share that story, <laughs> but I'm so glad you did because um, it 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 really is. Um, like you said, ADA compliant means one thing. It just means that there has to be accessible seating. It doesn't say where it has to be. And, you know, and, and a lot of times designs just put them in the uh, easiest place they can, you know, fit it into the design. But if that's away from where everybody else is sitting, it's not, it's not fun to sit by myself at, you know, at a game or something like that. So, um, and to have the student speak up 
and uh, be comfortable enough to say something about it. That's real. That's really great. That's that's fantastic. Um, so that that's uh, I, I was going to ask you to share that story. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad she's talking about it. <laughs> well, but, and she she's just a, as I said, she's uh, worked on our leadership team for inclusive schools. Um, she's now interested. She wants to become an educator. She's in school now and is getting her degree and is coming back and is doing student teaching right now in one of our schools. And wow. so I'm just waiting for the day when I can, can <laughs> hire her. <laughs> She's truly amazing. That's great. And um, the other story you shared about the, the student you met the other day, and, and it, it's so interesting how children like you said, they don't know anything else but inclusion. So when they see it, when they see that it's not happening other places, they're just like, wait, what? Like, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand, <laughs> you know? And it's really, um, it's, I, I've had, I've had experiences with that with my friends, um, children who uh, they go uh, to uh, our local playgrounds that um, are inclusive playgrounds. And when I share with them, oh, when I was your age, they didn't have these and I wasn't able to use my wheelchair on a playground. They're just like, huh? Like you didn't, I said, well, I was able to walk with my crutches, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't easy for me. Like, but they didn't have this nice surfacing here so I can really get around on my wheelchair. And they're just like, well, well why not? <laughs> and they're just indignant, right? That's yeah. not fair. Kids have a strong sense of fairness. Yes. So when we can nurture and and include that um, disability in that mm -hmm. same conversation, then they're going to be, they won't accept that right. unfairness. The challenge is in, in, the, in the olden times, or sadly in many districts nowadays, students are being brought into schools that are segregated. And so they think that's normal or typical and, and again I think there are for the adults who are still um you know, back to a previous question when you talked about what's challenging in this work what's challenging is the underlying beliefs because people go into education for the right reasons I truly believe that they want to help help students and when things are hard it's easy to think there's someone out there that probably do this better than I could. So for example, back to the um, teacher I talked about earlier in the fifth grade class who ended up developing that strong relationship with that student. Um, in the old model, that student would have been taken to a different classroom with someone with great expertise in supporting students who don't use um, oral language, who you know, have some developmental disabilities, things like that. And that was the model that we in this country engaged in for so long of, of you general ed teacher, you don't have the expertise. Someone else has the expertise. So there's still, when things get hard, because sometimes they're hard, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. we don't understand what a student's trying to express from with the behavior they're expressing or we haven't found a good entry point for a student or they're they're not feeling very connected so it's very easy when things get hard to go back to that model of surely there's someone else out there or some magical place out there where this student 
would be better served. And I think that is what continues to perpetuate segregated classrooms. I don't think it's nefarious. I think people that are in education are want to do what's best for kids. But we need to, to take stock and, and stop thinking magically about this and really look at the data. And the data is when we do it well, they're much better served mm -hmm. in their neighborhood school, in the general ed classroom with supports, variations, adaptations, schedule changes as an individual child needs. Um, but that magical thinking about when it's hard, there's someone else out there that could do this better really needs to shift because it's not true. Um, we look at the outcomes of segregated classrooms, they're not good. And um, so we just need to be honest about that, not, um, not shame people for having had hmm. those beliefs, but um, call them in with some, some honesty about what is true, um, what we are seeing by and large for, for students as we move forward. Well, Jennifer, I think you have said it all. <laughs> That um, I, I enjoyed our conversation today and uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, meet with me and, um, you know, with the time difference, you being on the West Coast and me on the East Coast and, you know, making it work. Uh, thank you so much for that. And um, I look forward to uh, working with you again and, and um, you know, talking with you and, and seeing you sometime soon, hopefully. <laughs> Sounds great. So thank you so much, Arthur. It's been a pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. And you have a good day and a good weekend. All right. Thanks. <laughs> All right. We thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education and JCIE. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.